we are doing Simon, William, Gabriel, Bouquet, Day, Dimamon, Dimamon, Dimamon. Dimamon. That's a long line. Right. That's a long name. Yeah. We don't even know how to pronounce it, but he's well known more as Father Brute. Father Brute. Our mother Seton called him G. Of course, with her nicknames. So she called him G. All right, well, welcome to Phantom Followers. So we're on our. Third time this time with Father Brute recording. Yeah. We actually have recorded him two other times and it yeah. never fully uploaded. So yeah. we're going to try to recapture our magic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we hope that yeah. this goes through and that you guys enjoy this special podcast on Father Brute. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, so um, he was a priest that was here um, during Mother Seton's time. I guess for us, he's most known for his artwork, his drawings. Mm -hmm. um, he's given us a really good insight into life here because he drew so many things. The property, Mother Seton herself, right up until the day before she died, the sisters. Um, and so it really um, adds in to what we see written. Um, he was born in France. He arrives in America in 1810. He was a doctor and a priest and um, Mother Seton encounters him in 1811. The summer of 1811, he comes here, and she's just helping him with his French. She's keeping it very low-key. Um, she does write this thing to Archbishop Carroll that she realizes that they have this instant connection, that they're kind of in sync. They're both very um, passionate people, very intellectual people, and she, she's like, that would be dangerous for me to confide everything into him. Like, I want to tell all, she said. I have this temptation to tell him all. Um, because she doesn't want him to replace Archbishop Carroll's words or God's words. Which is so. interesting because um, all through Elizabeth Ann Seton's life, she seemed to gravitate towards well-spoken men for advice, for their guidance. He, she holds on to their every word. So we see that with Hobart. We saw it with right. the Fulikis and so on. Um, so when you get to Father Brute, it's such an interesting friendship because they both want to hold on to each other's word. And you right. see that through the entire time here in St. Joseph Valley. You see that through Father Brute's writings and work, mm -hmm. and you kind of see it a little bit like you just mentioned now, through Elizabeth Ann Seton, except that this time, she's really holding herself back into wanting more of a deeper clarity of when you embrace someone's words or someone's advice mm -hmm. or like their homilies, like mm -hmm. she takes it that it's not from, you know, Simon Brute himself, it's more on what you say, listening to the will of God. Right, I, and I think she's learning her lesson because she's been burned a couple of times that she's gotten so close to these speakers that you were talking about that are so well-versed and she's thinking, she's excited. She gets ignited by their words and she thinks then that that's the word of God speaking to her. And so she's cautioning herself on that, which is very wise to do. I think it's, mm -hmm. it's so easy of a trap for all of us to fall into when we find someone that we easily connect with immediately mm -hmm. to be like oh they're so wonderful and I they're perfect mm -hmm. and they're not perfect you know and so I think she she's cautioning herself which is great um, it's not until a year later when Anna Maria has died um, that she finds herself really in need of someone to talk to mm -hmm. because she's really angry 
and she feels a little embarrassed too, I think, which we've talked about before. So she doesn't want to go to Archbishop Carroll or Father Dubois, who was here at the seminary. So she turns to Father Brute. And that's where they kind of really work through it. I think, in my estimate, they spent about six months, six months, eight months working on trying to figure out and understand and accept the will of God. And so that's what she's noted for. We had talked about, like, what did Brute see in her that elevated her to sainthood? Mm-hmm. It was her complete openness to the will of God, more so than, like I would say, like, oh, it's the will of God, and you kind of move on. She started deliberately separating things out of her life so she could only hear God, mm-hmm. you know, like we've said, in adoration, we were doing that. I mean, we joked about it in the shower. We yeah. were doing that. <laughs> no one else around, so you can actually, good thoughts come in your head, you work mm-hmm. things through, and she becomes aware of that. Yeah, and this is that, that maturity in the spirituality, mm-hmm. in understanding um, on a comprehensive level of what is it that we're called to do? Why are right. we here on earth? Why are we supposed to impart on people? Right, and she's um, working on it really hard like every yeah. day. And to your point about how close they became, it's like, so she leaned on him when she was going through that grief, but it immediately switches back. And she's, she's aware of what she's saying to Brute that he's hanging on to. And, and she calls him my son. So she even says, Elizabeth encouraged him. She said, my son, be careful to find the will of God, not by the dear coaxing of your mother charged you with, but by a prayer full of confidence. So she's telling him, like, don't, don't lean on my words, my advice, because I could be wrong. Like, I don't know what, the, what God wants for you. So don't be so excited. And I think she saw that in him. She saw him always saying to her, oh, you know, you're elevated to sainthood or whatever he would say to her. And she would be like, you're putting me on a pedestal, basically, yeah. and you can't do that. Yeah, yeah she didn't see herself there. Right. So, but those words, and correct me if I'm wrong, but those words actually kind of motivated Brute to go beyond Emmitsburg. So he goes back to Europe, right, for a couple yeah, of years. Yeah, he, he goes back to see his mother, um, and that, of course, is a very funny thing, because she's like, here, take William with you, you know? Oh, right, that's <laughs> Her right. Son, um, because she's trying to not have him go in the military, and, um, and he's there for a few years, and he comes back, but he goes to Baltimore, because he's put in charge there as president of St. Mary's in Baltimore. They're still writing, of course. Yeah. Uh, but he's not here. Mm-hmm. And but she's not, like, holding on to him, though. Like, um, I, I'm just thinking back on Babade, you know, like, earlier on when right. she was here in Evansburg, Babade was kind of, like, I guess her spiritual advisor then. Right. Um, he was hard to provide guidance, and they were very attached to him, not just Elizabeth, but the entire community. And then Babade was remissioned, mm-hmm. and Elizabeth was... But angry about it. Yeah, she was angry about it. And then Um, that was when her and her boys were kind of like button heads too. But she was just, they were, they were, it was a very challenging time on all sides. But then Brute comes in and it's like a match made in heaven for Du Bois. Now Elizabeth's happier again, things are moving on. Because at one point in time, he didn't even see the future of the community, right? Right. Like, he didn't really see the future of the community. But then when she really, I guess, matured Mm -hmm. and how she responds to situations and handles it. So I just thought it was kind of funny because when Brute leaves for a couple years, they stay in touch, but she's not dependent on him. She's not dependent on him, you're right. And she doesn't have that same anger 
Um, I, yeah, and I, what you said, like she's matured, because I think when she first got here and the babe left, it was kind of like, oh, what do I do now? I have all this, I'm overwhelmed. And she doesn't. By 1814, she's much at peace with what's happening. But the priests found her very difficult to work with, you know, and they, they would complain that she was difficult to work with. But Father Brute did not find that. Yeah. He, he, they loved working together and reading together, and he brought all of his books back, and she started translating some of the works of, like, St. Louise yeah. um, because she wanted to share her words with people, and that brought her a lot of comfort. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of like Brute really was her best friend. Yeah, and yeah. that was reciprocal, you know, right. for, well, at least so I thought. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, I learned that towards the end of Elizabeth's life, when right. she was really sick, it in my perspective when reading her letters, it's sort of like Brute kind of was a little bit annoying. Um, she yeah. was just constantly yeah. around. She didn't want him around. She just, and I always thought it's because Brute really loved her. Like he was in love with her. It's sort yeah. of like there could be a relationship if the religious factor wasn't there. You know, if he yeah. wasn't a priest and she wasn't, uh, I guess, into the sisterhood. Yeah, that for could sure, they yeah. have been more in love, like a couple? But then when she gets towards the end of her life, it's just sort of like she's annoyed by him and she wants to keep him at arm's length. But you told me differently, and yeah. it really spun my perspective. Like, oh wow. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think that that's what's so great about what we're doing here because we do learn these little bits, and and it like human nature, it we lead our own conclusions, right? And so that was kind of always the rumor, like there there was this attraction, yeah. and um, and there's the whole thing about the the hair, which is weird. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Brute had some of his hair, hair and some of Elizabeth's hair, and he like entwined it together. So yeah, you kind of get the impression that he did have this crush on her, although you know he called her mother and she called him son. But um, we just kind of went with that. But yeah. as you really start to dig in deeper, what you realize is that they had this mutual agreement um, to separate themselves from each other and totally submit to the will of God, especially close to the end of her life, and. And she says that that's not for everyone to do, like to kind of abandon your, not abandon, but kind of like push away the people around you. Mm -hmm. But what she says is that she saw that as a subtraction from being able to hear what God was saying to her. So if I'm spending time with you, then I'm not listening to what he wants from me, and that's a subtraction that I can't afford. Yeah. And so she does. She writes another priest, Father John David and Archbishop Carroll, and she's basically saying to them, we have mutually decided to separate our friendship. And there were things that I think led up to this, because he would say things to her like, oh, the sisters are praying that you're going to get better, so you're going to get better, and she became frustrated by that. Like, no, I only want to know what God wants for me. You know, or there were sisters that were like, you're going to go straight to heaven, you're going to skip purgatory. And she basically was like, no, if, I, if I'm if i meant to go to hell, that's where I'm going to go. I don't want to yeah. hear you giving me false hope, basically, like mm -hmm. how great that would be to skip purgatory or whatever. So yeah. I, I think that shows her strength. I, mean, I was going to say, it really shows the strength and that she was not afraid of death, which I think is very unique in itself. Mm -hmm. You know, even, I think even if someone was like, oh, I'm thinking even Catherine Seaton was like, in her later years, she was like, oh, I have a cold, I'm going to die tomorrow, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, like yeah. they they weren't afraid of death, they 
welcome death, they look to eternity, which we know Elizabeth looked to eternity all her life. Ever since her mother died when she was a little girl, she said, I wish I could be where they are up in heaven. And I just find that kind of a little... It's different than what we experience today. Like When people are like, oh, I could die tomorrow. But then when it's actually happening, they're afraid. Like, they're not afraid, but they kind of want to... I don't know, run away from well, it, or they embrace the people right. near them. They, try, you know, try to soak up the last they can of light. Time is running out. Like, there's this, um, like, unfinished yeah. business that they start feeling. Yeah. But Elizabeth and didn't feel that. Yeah, so and, she, and I read, like, when she was dying, Catherine's crying, the sisters are crying, and she's totally fixated, like, straight ahead on the crucifix and just, your will, God, your will, and just at those last moments, and not turning to her daughter and comforting her, it's still like, I'm fighting to get to the finish line, and I'm going to keep fighting. And the only way to get to that finish line is, again, listening to the will of God, listening to him, not being distracted, and having the subtraction. Which, I mean, like you were saying, if you think to those last moments before you die, that took a lot of strength. Because a lot of us would be like, well, I'm dying. I get, you know, I get to do what I want, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. And she didn't feel that way. She she stayed focused that whole time. Um, so, yeah, so she dies. And, of course, Father Brute is very, very upset. And but what he does immediately is gets everyone, save everything that was okay, Elizabeth. Right. Yeah, um, he appeals, like, save all of her radio, save all of her blonding, of which these sisters do, and even her daughter Catherine does. Right. Um, and, well, and he's searching for letters, right, because right. Elizabeth did what so many people of that age did. They started destroying their letters, burning their letters. So he had to reach out to people and, and say, if you have her letters, could you send them back? And so they did, and then he goes through the letters <laughs> and makes notes. Like, oh, she didn't really mean this, or years later, this is how she felt. Okay. So he goes all the way back to 1799, I think is the earliest one. So she's, you know, 25 years old, mm-hmm. and and her thought process was a little bit different because her faith was a journey, right. and she was questioning lots of different things. She was reading lots of different things. So he's basically like, well, she may have read this in 1799, but by the time we're at 1821, she's reading this. And I think that we can really trust to Brute accounting those accurately because right. Right, they yeah. became very, very close. But there was a, there was a maturity and appropriateness for their closeness. Like, I said, right. like we said, they weren't dependent on each other, um, right. and but they valued each other. He's very good at he never divulges anything that she said. In confidence as her spiritual director so he doesn't talk about the sins that she admitted to or her wrongdoings or anything like that or any kind of penance that he gave her he doesn't talk about any of that mm-hmm. it is more of a friend saying I know that this is how she felt at this time mm-hmm. so he respects her in that way yeah. um, and I, I think it did get her noticed and I think it did help to elevate her um, to sainthood because of Afterwards, yes. so many of us up till today have those letters and mm-hmm. those writings that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, which so um, it does bring back to that Brute really just was right in seeing her as a saint here on earth. Mm-hmm. He was right to voice that because right. it's true. I mean, it right. took 154 years later, <laughs> but right, but but if it wasn't for him though, 
you know, who was to say what Elizabeth had been a saint. Right. It really was to him. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, and I think everyone becomes a saint when they're supposed to, and I think she's being noticed right now for so many reasons. Right. You know, true, everything true. that she went through is so relatable to what people mm-hmm. go through today. Yeah. But I think we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't from him. him. Yeah. And I think he saw that and wanted that for other people, but he also so appreciated what she did for him. And I want to read one last thing. So okay. four months after Elizabeth's death, he wrote, I have lost the best of my friends. I feel it, I say it, write it, and more. Make it my inexpressible and inconsolable secret. No soul has so forcibly excited mine to see what it is to be a priest of my God. Pray my mother, pray for me. So she, he's saying she taught him what it was to be so in love with God that he could yeah. be a priest for God. It's so beautiful. Yeah. It's so powerful. And it really makes me wish I had a father pretend. (laughs) Someday. I know. (laughs) I know. I mean, someone that just gets you. Yeah. You know, and that they had that relationship where they could be so honest with each other, where he being like, you know what, I'm going to die in two months, and I don't really want to see you. (laughs) And be like, okay. okay. (laughs) Yeah. But it just. This really is a testament to what a true friendship mm-hmm. on that spiritual level, on that journey, that we all strive to do even today. Right. But the so, one focused God, you know. And, yeah. and that is, I believe, that is what makes her a saint, is her example of being totally committed to the will of God. God. Yep. Thank you, Lisa. So, it was a great topic. I have enjoyed the conversation three or four times now. <laughs> so, but again, we hope that you guys enjoy it too. So, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, thank you. Bye.